you have a Bible this morning, you can turn to the book of 2 Peter. And if you don't have a Bible and you need a Bible, we have Bibles uh, available to you. You can keep them. They're either on the side table over here or on the table in the back vestibule. You can take that Bible, write your name on it, and that can be yours to keep. We want everybody to have the Word of God available to them. Well, this is our last Sunday in the book of 2 Peter, and, and you might think, well, I haven't been here maybe for all the previous ones. Well, let me give you a quick overview of what's happened so far because it's, it's just as uh, in, important to what we're speaking of today. Peter has been spending time through this book saying, hey, look, there's something coming in the future that's important, and that's called the day of the Lord. But before he talks about the day of the Lord, he, 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 he wants to establish the fact that there's lots of people out there that will tell you things that are false. He doesn't say that that's just going to happen at the mall, at the kiosk, when they're trying to get you to buy the gizmos and gadgets and this, that, and the other. It's not just going to happen on the television. It'll happen in the church as people wiggle in there and false prophets and false teachers come. And even though they sit among you and even though they eat at your covered dish meals, they're going to have to take the opportunity to maybe lie to you and tell you something that's not right. And so Peter says, watch out for that. But you also have to know that God has gone over the top to give you the truth. That he sent prophets and he sent the word of God to come and to to bring the truth to you. So pay attention because the truth is critical, not only for knowing what's happened in the past. And God will speak the truth of your life concerning your past. Not only how much he loves you, but the wreckage that you've caused in your life with sin. When God saw that wreckage and that sin was going to lead towards your death and death eternal. He sent Jesus in the flesh to die for you, to take you out of sin and death and to place you into life. And he wants you to know that truth. So that's what Peter's been setting up is watch out for falsehood, but pay attention to the truth. You can trust God's truth. He's given us the word to know that truth. And now he wants us to know about what's coming with the day of the Lord. You know, he's been talking about the fact that Jesus is coming. That's what the day of the Lord is, that he's been talking that on the day that Jesus comes, he's going to come and rescue his people. He will save his people. But at the same time, he is going to come and he's going to bring judgment and destruction upon his enemies. And this world, as we know it, it's not going to exist any longer. We've been learning recently that on the day of the Lord, he's going to come and consume it with fire. It'll all melt away and be burnt up. He's creating a new heaven and a new earth in which his people will dwell with him. So that's going to take place on the day of the Lord for his people. What that means is we are to be anticipating that, you know, recently uh, my dad gave my mom uh, a Mother's Day gift. He said, honey, I'm giving you a trip across the country. Uh, They're going to get in the car and drive. And so the day finally came and they jumped in the car and they started driving. And fortunately, they're here with us today here in North Carolina. Uh, it is true that I'll probably have to go and translate most of what Dale Wood said earlier to them so they can understand it. But they're here and they're in South Johnson County with us. And, and it was a, a, as they started their journey, uh, my mom did this thing where on Facebook she was posting every day about where they were traveling and how far they'd gone and, and what sites they were seeing and who they were visiting all along the way. And so even though I knew they were coming, I could, I could get online and I could track where they were and, and where they'd be. And then as they got closer, it was kind of finally that time of, you know, hey, we've got to clean the house. You know, we've got to get ready. We've got to get the menu prepared. We need to get, you know, food in their bedroom made up. And so, so, so here come mom and dad across the country. We knew the day that they were coming and approximately what time. But as our loved ones were coming, there were certain things that it caused us, you know, our hearts were warming and we were, we were expecting their arrival, but it also was encouraging us to get some things done. 
And so when Peter's writing to the church, he's saying, hey, you have a loved one coming. Jesus Christ is coming back. So you, you can't just wait. You, you got some things to get done. There's some things to do and some things you need to know about his return so, so that you're living the way that he wants you to. And last week we saw that, that living that way in, in, um, in, uh, without spot or blemish is that Jesus is living his holiness and righteousness in us. And he said also to be at peace, that his presence would give us that peace because he is the Lord of peace. And then he goes into this next verse. We're in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. He says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. So the Lord is patient. He's already said concerning his patient that um, he, is, he is waiting for the right day to come and that there will come people, scoffers, who will say, Well, why is he taking so long? Why has it been taking 2,000 years for Jesus to come back if he's going to come and rescue you? But he told us earlier that the Lord is patient. He's not slow in the way that some people count slowness, but he's patient, not wishing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. So why is he patient? He says here again, it's for salvation. The Lord is waiting because he is waiting to save people. Some of them might be sitting right in this room. The Lord says that maybe even some in our midst might not fully be in the people of God, or maybe that you are a people of God and he's doing something in you while he's waiting to come back. That is all counted as salvation. So he's waiting for some to come to initial repentance. He's also waiting for some who are on track. They are Christians that he is, he is growing them in the midst of their salvation until the day of his return. So why is he taking so long? Because he's still wanting to save there's something with what he's wanting to do in people and probably in you and me that he is waiting and waiting and waiting. And part of that is he may be waiting patiently because as he works in you, he's waiting then as he sends you out into this community and into rough situations and at, to, uh, at work that you might be the one that, that gets to tell the gospel to somebody that he's waiting patiently to come back and save. And so Paul says, that's what happened. He says, count the patience of the Lord as salvation. Basically, how do you perceive the Lord's waiting to return? How do you perceive anything that the Lord is doing? Sometimes we don't like, we talked about this recently, we don't like the Lord's timing or we don't like the reasons that he caused this thing to happen. But we need to say, you know what? I'm just going to perceive that God is good. He's always been faithful. I can trust him. And as far as his timing, I'm just going to, I'm going to count it. That he's wishing to save people. And that's why the Lord is waiting. And he says this. Just as our brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him. As he does in all of his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. And so he says, not only am I writing, but there was another guy named Paul. Who God had uh, miraculously brought out of. Uh, he used to be a persecutor of Christians and God saved him. And now he was one of the greatest proponents of Jesus writing letters. And he says, Paul wrote to you too. He said the exact same thing in his letters as God gave him wisdom. And then he goes on, and this may uh, make some of you feel good. Um, I know it makes me feel good. He goes on and says, there are some things in them, in Paul's letters, in his writings, that are hard to understand. Um, if, if you will, just be really honest right now. And raise your hand if you've ever had a hard time understanding one of Paul's letters. I'm just going to raise my hand. <laughs> There's something good. There are some things that Paul has said, but I just scratch my head and say, you know, what? I, I, I don't know what that means. I mean, I put it before the Lord and maybe someday he'll bring me to understanding. But but Peter says, these are things that are difficult to understand. I've written them and now Paul's and, and Peter says, sometimes you've read Paul's letters and they're difficult to understand. The encouragement here is not that when we come up to things that we don't understand to say, well, then what good are they? And to throw them out. 
I remember being in junior high, and I took math, and there was lots of things in math I didn't understand. And you know what I and my friends would always say to the teacher? When is this ever going to apply to life? I don't understand this. Why do I need to learn it anyway? And Peter's kind of saying the same thing. Why would you look at Paul's letters and say, even though you don't understand it, why would you just throw it out and say, when's this ever going to be useful anyway? I'm never going to be a theology professor. I'm never going to be a pastor. I don't need to understand it. But all this is to continue to grow your faith and to grow you closer to Jesus. And even though we didn't understand our math teacher, and even though we don't understand Paul, there may be a purpose in it. Now, I haven't figured out how math helps me to be a better pastor, but I do know that, that the writings of Jesus and all that he's saying are, are given for our instruction to grow our faith. But he says that this is what other people do to Paul's letters. Because they don't understand it, here's the danger in it. So, <clears throat> excuse me, it goes on and says, uh, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So first of all, I want to point out the fact that when Peter is talking about Paul's writings, he's not just talking about another pen pal. What he is saying is that Paul has been led by the Holy Spirit to write things of truth about Jesus. And they're not just a good book that you can buy on Amazon. It is a book called Scripture. It is the written word of God. So it's significant here as we wonder, well, what is God's word? That Peter would say what Paul is writing is God's word. It is scripture. That is a very important verse in our Bible that tells us that all the letters from Paul were scripture. Because Peter says, just like the other scriptures, people take the scriptures and when they don't understand it, when they don't believe it, they begin to they begin to twist it. These are people who are ignorant. That means they're they're not willing to learn about what it really means. And it also said that they're they're unstable. These are people that that that, that don't make sense out of things. They're 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 up and down. So they take these and they twist it. Now let me talk about that word twisted. It's translated twisted. It means uh, basically those torturing devices, you know, where people be twisted. So people take the word of God and they they torture it to death. They don't even use it for the correct thing. Here it is, the word of God. God has given us a love letter that would come and bring us life. And false teachers, people who don't understand, would actually take that and twist it and torture it to bring about possible destruction to other people who may be in the church. And he says that they do that not only is it harming other people, but to their own destruction. That's just foolishness. And you know how it's foolishness, how I know that? It's because I grew up watching cartoons where we laughed at people who were causing themselves destruction, even though they were trying to get somebody else. Anybody ever watch Wiley e. Coyote and Roadrunner? Man, that show was so funny because you'd watch Wiley e. Coyote do things. I saw one the other day. The Roadrunner went out on a frozen lake, and the coyote went and he put on some really sharp ice skates that were made by the Acme Company. And uh, so he puts on these skates and he, he goes out there and the roadrunner had stood still. And he, so he started skating circles around that roadrunner to cut the ice and hopefully the ice would fall through and the roadrunner to be frozen. Well, he goes and he cuts the circle around the ice and he stands there waiting for the roadrunner to go down. But instead, the whole rest of the lake goes down, including the, 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 the coyote into the lake. He was trying to cause destruction to the roadrunner, but in the end, it caused destruction to himself. Or it's like the other one where he got on a catapult. He was trying to catch up, so he thought, if I get on a catapult, that's going to catapult me towards the roadrunner. So he gets on the catapult, but what happens is the catapult just goes splat and throws him on the ground and hits him. It was no, no matter what that, 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 that coyote did, he could strap a rocket on his back and try to catch up, and it would just smash him into the, 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 the canyon wall. He was so bent on destruction and, and, and trying to get that guy that it only brought destruction on himself. 
And what Peter says is these people are taking the word of God and they don't understand it. They're unlearned, they're unstable, and they're torturing it to death. And they're causing problems. Don't believe them. They're, it's going to cause problems if you don't believe what Jesus is writing about him and what he's done in his future, because that's important for you and me. But these people, they're like the coyote. They're just killing themselves, too. Why would you follow somebody, follow somebody who's just bringing themselves destruction? And so he's, he says, be careful, these people. He goes on, he says, you, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. He says, hey, I'm warning you beforehand. Don't get carried away with what they're doing because they're unstable. You don't want to be unstable. You don't want to fall into sin. But he says this in verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. He says this. Don't don't wander off into error. I've spent this book talking about you got to watch out for those who are telling you falsehood. You need to listen to the truth. And the truth is this, that while you were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, humanity, we've all come from Adam and Eve and all that we've ever done is destruction. All we've ever done, even though we've tried to either help ourselves or help other people or hurt other people, all we've ever done is walked our own path towards death. But God, when he looked at us, he said, that is a pitiful people. And he sent his own son, Jesus Christ. And even though I deserved a cross like that, Jesus said, let me take that cross for you. He substituted himself for me and died in my place. And the good thing about that is when he took my death, he also gave me his life. He gave me his righteousness. He gave me his holiness so that when I stand before God, God doesn't see all the sin and all the garbage that I've done. That was put on Jesus and on his cross. What he sees is Jesus's blood over me. He sees his holiness. He sees his righteousness. He sees Jesus's merit. So Paul says, don't let other people tell you different. If you are with Jesus, he has saved you and he's brought you out of sin and death and he's put you into life. The result of that is this. You look forward to the day of his return. You anticipate it. And until he comes back, you not only love him, you not only stick to the truth, but then it encourages you to to live a life of worship that, that, that daily you are saying, Lord, then how may I serve you? How may I love you? And one of those ways is to go out and continue to tell other people about Jesus. That in the way that you live, in the way that you speak, the way that you think that, that there has been a, such a change in you that when people come into contact with you, they would say there's something about that person. And you may never even know what you have done. And it's not about you getting any any praise for that. All that glory goes to Jesus because that last verse said this. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. This is not for us to be lifted up and glorified. Everything that's done is so that Jesus will be glorified. And that says that we will do it until the day of eternity. There's going to be a day, the scripture says, when Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he will break through the heavens and he will come in the clouds and he will come to get his people and he will come to take us home. And my friends, that is the day of eternity. That is the first day of 
all of the rest of what can't even be counted, the infinite amount of time that will go on for all eternity. And I don't know about you, but I'm anticipating a Savior that will take me safely into that day. But what the Bible says, if you're not with Jesus, then that day of eternity is going to turn out much different than one of safety and salvation. It's going to be one of destruction. It's literally going to be one of hell. So maybe as you consider your life and you say, you know, I've heard a lot about Jesus and I've gone to church a lot. When God looks at that, that does not impress him. To have a great attendance record or to to have prayed so many times or maybe how much you gave in the offering today. When God looks at that, he doesn't say, well, I, I guess I should save Billy Joe Bob now. He doesn't look at me and say, hey, Jason, that was a great sermon. Now I should save you. It doesn't matter who you are. He's not impressed by what you do. You know who he's pleased by? His own work in you. And so if you don't know Jesus, if you've been trying to make God love you by maybe showing up today or doing better things, he's not going to love you more if you try to do more for him. And he's not going to love you less if you don't get it all right. Because the thing is this, God already knows that you can't. He knows that you on your own can't be holy. And so what he did was he sent his holy son to die in your place. And now, if you would say, Lord, I call upon your name, please save me. What he does is he he forgives you. He takes away your sin and he gives to you life and holiness and righteousness so that when he does look at you, guess what? He's impressed. He's impressed by the fact that Jesus is in you. He's impressed by that. The scripture says that he is pleased with his only son. So if you don't know his only son, then maybe today is the day, that first day, until that day of eternity, when you say, Lord, I want to glorify you in my life. Would you please come and forgive me? Would you take away my sin? And would you help me to live for you? Not because I want glory, but because I want you to receive the glory due to your name. And we're going to take the opportunity right now as a congregation just to spend some time praying. And maybe you need, maybe this is the first day that you need to call out to the Lord and say, Lord, would you... Would you please forgive me? Maybe today you have other ways in your life you've been trying to earn your salvation and you just can't. You need to give up and say, Lord, I just submit to you. Here's my life. Maybe today you have so much on your shoulders that you just feel burdened down and there's, there's been other ways that you've been trying to, to make peace or to lift that burden off, but maybe today you just need to bring that before the Lord and say, Lord, I give it to you. And anytime we give that up to the Lord and we sacrifice our life and just say, Lord, it's yours, that brings glory to him. That's what we call a life of worship. So what we're going to do at this time, we're going to stand together and we're going to sing a couple songs of of what we call musical worship. But I'm praying that this will be an opportunity as we recognize that the Lord is coming back and we get to live for him, that you would say, Lord, I want my whole life to be worshiped. I want my prayer life. I want my work life. I want my my vacation life. I want all of my life to be given to you, that that you would care for all of my burdens, that you would remove my sin and that I could live in you without worry. So would you stand with me and and sing along? And if this morning you'd like to pray, you're welcome to come and pray in the front and a, a deacon will come and pray with you and